Uh, welcome, everybody. Welcome to Seahawks Weekly. We're down here at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar right here in downtown Bellevue. This today at 8 o'clock, we got Doug Baldwin is going to join us right here live at Pearl. It's going to be a great night. Big thank you to our sponsors, Heritage Distillings, Batch Number 12, Baca, Legendary Donuts, and Muckle Shoot Bingo. And joining us today, of course, the best-looking guys in the world, oh. Danny O'Neill and Dave Wyman. Fellas, what you no know good? I, up, I, I do believe Dave is one of the best-looking men in the world. I saw a picture of him as an All-American on the wall at Stanford over the weekend. I took a hey, picture of it. I saw that. D- Dave, you still do look good, bro. Here's the one he, thing, he though. He I'm has really kind of, uncomfortable with you oh, two right oh, now. Why not? He <laughs> kind of has a Lloyd Christmas haircut, though. <laughs> he, yeah, there's a bowl, bowl cut going on. It's kind of a Lloyd Christmas look. You know who Dave Wyman looks like? Lloyd Christmas? Uh, Christopher Reeves. Superman. I used to get that ah. when I was younger. Actually, see, yeah, I don't mind being Superman. <laughs> Here's what I would say: Dave Wyman looks like someone who was cast to play the role of Dave Wyman. <laughs> Somebody wrote that in a book one time, and I shared that with Danny. What does that even yeah. mean? I don't know what that means. He was trying to be clever, but uh, anyway, I appreciate that from you guys, and uh, I'm excited for a big Monday night football game. All right, good. Hey, we got a great night tonight. Uh, like I said, Doug Ball will be here at eight o'clock, and uh, we'll be talking about Monday night. Football here coming up soon, but before we do, oh, Seahawks won their last game, but that came at a price. Yes, um, did. They did get the win, but the price is definitely something else. Uh, let's let's talk about the price that it came at. Uh, obviously, one the, the glaring thing is on Monday, this coming Monday, it will be 2,500 days since the last time the Seahawks have played without Richard Sherman. How big is this loss for the Seahawks? It's huge. It's like, uh, you know, it's like Earl Thomas, uh, Cam Chancellor. You know, one of the things, G, that I thought about, Danny, you and I have talked about this. I have never questioned Richard Sherman's speed. Like, I have no idea what he runs the 40 in. I I have no idea if he's one of the faster players in the NFL. I just know that he's the best corner in the league. And it's because of the angles and it's because of his knowledge of the game. And that's something that they're definitely going to miss. Now, we've seen time without Cam Chancellor. We've seen time without Earl Thomas. But we have not seen time without Richard Sherman. So it's, it's tough. And right now, you know, we're, we're still hanging on to the hope that maybe Cam Chancellor plays. But that's not looking so good either. So we're going to see the depth get tested this year. And I think that, uh, that last year they learned a lesson about Earl Thomas and when he went out, we didn't know what the deal was with Stephen Terrell. You know, same thing with Kelsey McRae. So they went and got some really good depth and through the draft with Shaq Griffin and also a couple of ty- uh, safeties that we hope we're going to see, Tedrick Thompson and Delano Hill. But then, uh, you know, they went and got – the guy I'm really high on is Justin Coleman. I think Justin Coleman has been fantastic. It's not just the pick six in Indy. It's all the – little things that he does, all the dirty work. And so, you know, they've got some good depth there. They've got some, you know, there's two major cogs missing from this defense, Richard Sherman and Cliff Averill. And they went and got Deion Jordan. They got Dwight Freeney in here. And then all of that depth there. And I would, I would say this too, Danny, uh, watch out for Nico Thorpe. And, you know, he's a favorite of our show because we've interviewed him like 12 times. And love Nico Thorpe and the work that he's done in the special teams area. Maybe that translates over into the defensive back. But I think that, I think that they have uh, gotten 
much better at getting depth here, especially in the defensive backfield. The thing I couldn't get past after the game was the personal toll that took on Richard Sherman and watching a guy who has... Because Richard is as interesting an athlete as I've ever covered. And, and I say that because I've never seen anybody that's quite like him or able to do the things that he does and how competitive he is and all of the different things that go into that. And to watch, see him kind of come to the reality that he wasn't going to be available for the rest of the season. And he tried to joke about it, saying the suit was a lot cooler before the game. You just saw he more than anybody maybe has embodied the sort of competitive emotional fire that Pete Carroll's tried to get in this team and bringing the best out of him. And sometimes that's resulted in him going over the edge, in my opinion, and doing things that have been disruptive to the team. But at the end, that guy cares so much about playing and playing really well and watching him kind of wrestle with and by the end where he's kind of breaking down that he's not going to be able to play. I was really disappointed for him, and I felt really bad for him. About him going forward, I know he's going to bounce back from it. He's built to overcome adversity like this. And I don't have any questions about his, his long-term career or what will happen next. As for how it will shake out on the field, I think that's something we'll have to see. Dave, Dave said, we watched what this defense became without Earl Thomas. We haven't seen what this defense is without Richard Sherman, how opponents might try to attack Seattle differently. So I, I think that question of how they're able to compensate for the loss, nobody expects them to be better, but can they become different? And can somebody else emerge? Because look, 2,500 days ago, whenever that was, when Richard Sherman started that game, we were all worried about Richard Sherman because he was the third string cornerback. He was the guy that was, it wasn't even the backup to Marcus Trufant. He was the backup to Walter, Walter Thurmond, who was the backup to Marcus Trufant. And he came in there and he was an emergency. I don't think there's another Richard Sherman on this roster, but we're going to have to see if they've got some playmakers at the lesser tiers of this it, 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 behind them in the depth chart. Well, speaking of if there's another Richard Sherman on the roster, Byron Maxwell, old Maxie, is back. Someone who is familiar with this defense. He was drafted here. He left to go to Philadelphia, then over to Miami. Then now he was on the streets. But not technically, but you know what I'm talking about. It sounds and so mean when we say that. I know. Signed I him know. off the street. <laughs> like he's, he's just a bum wandering around. He's wandering the earth looking for employment. But he's back. What does that look like for this team, guys? Byron Maxwell's back. Jay Lane got paid the money to play that position in the case of Richard Sherman being gone in this situation because he lost that spot to a la uh, Shaq Griffin and, of course, Justin Griffin, and he was the next guy. What does the Byron Maxwell pickup mean for this team? It's, it's one of the great signings that they've done this offseason with Dwight Freeney, the same type of thing, Deion Jordan. It's low risk for them as mm -hmm. far as picking up a contract and – time in the contract as far as a you know three-year deal no it's a one-year deal so here's the thing with byron maxwell i really hope that he just they plug him back in and he just becomes the byron maxwell that he was but you know what when he was here i remember thinking man if we didn't have richard sherman here we'd be just raving about byron maxwell because he's so good i just love having him around and hopefully he is able to just plug in and be that guy that he was when he was here so yeah, i'm excited to have him back and uh you know i can't wait to interview him because he's one of my favorites I, I love the way he interacts with people who maxi yes is a favorite to interview 
Uh, he's one of my favorites. Really? One of the reasons why is because the way he looks at you when you're when you're interviewing him, he's like very openly curious. Like, what are you about to say? You like but, it when he, you like it when he says um. Yeah, <laughs> I like that, too. But no, he's just one of the original members. And maybe, you know, there's something, too, that you plug a guy into this defense and he's able to all of a sudden play well. You know, I don't I don't understand. I can't explain why he did not have success outside of the Seahawks defense because he was so good. But, you know, maybe there's a little bit of, uh, as you said, Danny, a little magic dust that uh, this defense sprinkles over players. But I, I think. Either way, it's not a huge risk bringing a guy like that in here. And the Seahawks have always been able to develop really good defensive backs. I mentioned that earlier. I think one of the reasons why is because Pete's an old defensive back himself. And an old defensive back coach, he played DB at uh, University of Pacific. And I think he has really good knowledge of knowing how to get guys playing together back there and and be smart about how they play the game so there's a lot of knowledge and even though richard sherman's not around physically he's going to be there mentally and a guy that can uh, can help out some of these guys some of the younger guys in this defense if you have to make an addition and if you have to look outside your team to add to the depth with which obviously seattle did it's great to have someone like byron maxwell who's not only familiar with your defense but you know his strengths and you know all of his warts Pete mentioned it today that, hey, other teams, both in Philadelphia and in Miami, had him play off the line. They had him drop back a little bit and be able to run with guys. And Pete's pretty clear, I think, in understanding that Byron Maxwell's strength was sort of the, the ability to jam guys at the line. And if you're asking him to run with someone or react to it, if you're asking him to play that style of man coverage that you're asking for trouble, that's not built to his strength. So you have a scheme and a coaching staff that we know Byron Maxwell has worked in. Do I think that he is going to come in and start right away? I'd be surprised if they leapfrogged him ahead of Jeremy Lane. If you told me three weeks from now that he's starting, I could absolutely see that. And here's the one thing the Seahawks have is they don't have to concern themselves about how this fits long picture, long term in the big picture of things. All they can do is decide it's not about how much Jeremy Lane makes or whether Byron Maxwell is the guy they want to feature. It's going to be who, who's ever playing best because chances are Jeremy Lane's not going to be with the team next year, and we'll see how long Maxwell is there for. But you've got an ability to make decisions for what's best in the here and now rather than trying to manage the big picture. All right. Something that I've been thinking about, and I'm sure a lot of fans are thinking about, and this is something that the both of you definitely, definitely have to answer on this. So we know that it's going to be 2,500 days since the last time we've seen this team without Richard Sherman out there on the field. And now, arguably, this will probably be the first time that I can't know how long that we haven't had Richard Sherman and or Cam Chancellor on the field at the same time. Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Atlanta Falcons, Monday night right here. Guys, how do they make up for that? The possibility of Cam not being in there. How do they face that Atlanta Falcons offense? Well, I think that this team just in general is the best at matching up with a team like that. You know, you've got athletic linebackers and Bobby and KJ. So, you know, whenever I think about matchup problems, look, defensive backs are good on wide receivers, but how do the linebackers match up uh, against tight ends and, uh, and against quick backs? And Bobby and KJ are really good at that. We talked to KJ right today. I was asking him about the deep crossing route and how that's a, uh, you know, a little bit of a problem. And he talked about that. But he said, look, that's what we want. We're going to take that away. 
and we're going to make them throw the ball down into the kill zone. I loved that, Danny. The kill zone, gee. That is, that is awesome terminology well, I, I, right you there. You made me nervous, man, because you got up and you kind of lunged towards me. You good, bro? I'm making sure you're all right. Oh, I like you, G. Do you, do, you think, do you think Roger Goodell likes that phrasing? Yeah, I was going to say, the he might zone. actually fine the Seahawks for having a term like kill zone. But, look, that's what they're talking about. You know, you dump the ball underneath. And people used to talk about, oh, you know, the Seahawks get, you know, picked apart in their defense. Well, no, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to keep everything protected over the top and make them check it down and make uh, these guys come up and you know they'll make hits they'll definitely make them pay for it so i still think they match up well but look there's a lot of questions to be answered in this game there's no question about that you know we've sat here and talked about how they've gotten better with depth they got bradley mcdougall now bradley mcdougall played free safety for earl last week now he's got to come up and play strong safety for cam you know, and I've talked him up to death, but we'll see. We will see if he's able. You can't replace Cam Chancellor, so I just ask fans, don't judge him on that basis because look at Cam, man. He comes up there in the box and makes that safety, that tackle on Adrian Peterson. That was just awesome. I mean, there's just not many people that can do that, but I think Bradley McDougal is versatile enough there. They drafted Shaq Griffin. I mentioned Coleman. You know, they got... Jeremy Lane back. So I think they're going to rise to the occasion because this is a tough offense. The one thing I fear is that Atlanta had a get-right game last week. Ray Roberts talks about that all the time. I love that term. They had a get-right game. I mean, they held Dallas to seven points. Their defense did. And they got, what, eight sacks on defense. And then their offense pretty much did what they're used to doing. They distributed the ball all around, so it's going to be a tough matchup, and this is going to be a really tough test, like you said, G, without Richard, without Cam. I mean, it's one thing to be without one of those guys, but without two of them, it's going to be a different story. When you look at how opponents have attacked Seattle, too, having Richard and having Cam Chancellor and having Earl Thomas, those three pillars, and they've not played a game since 2011 in which two of those three were absent where you're going to be missing two of those three. And I think all of us expect, while Cam hasn't been ruled out, he didn't practice today. There's uncertainty about his neck. Are opponents going to attack them differently? Because that could translate to more opportunities for Seattle's defense. We'll see because they've, not that opponents concede some things, but yeah, they have conceded some going. things. They have conceded some things, with, whether it comes to throwing to Richard Sherman's side. You're going to see some opportunities, and I think that, people aren't going to take it as a given that they can't do certain things against Seattle. And not to say that Seattle will be better off for not having those players, but it certainly won't be. But they could have more chances. The guys that are in there could have more chances to make plays and turnovers. You're listening to Seahawks Weekly. If you're out and about, come on down to Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar right here in downtown Bellevue. Doug Baldwin is going to be joining us at 8 o'clock right here at Pearl. Another player that the Seahawks lost C.J. Procise. C.J. Procise, who hasn't been healthy that much this year, uh, had an opportunity to get in there, shake it up, look, kind of thought he was going to be looking real good. Got, ankle got turned up a little bit, kind of looked bad. He's on the IR. A promotion happened. Mike Davis from the practice squad was brought up to kind of help this run game. What does this mean for that run game right now for Mike Davis? Well, I mean, look, he's got a chance. Maybe he's going to be the guy that uh, solves the puzzle as far as the run game goes. Look, you know, before Eddie Lacy went down with that groin injury, he did a couple of things that I thought 
needed to be done by the running backs, and that's find the small cracks. There's never been huge cracks opened up in this running game. It's not like we've had this dominant offensive line that's blowing people off the ball. There's little areas to run, and Eddie Lacy figured that out, and then he gets a groin injury. So, I mean, it's just been hard luck at that position. I've always just loved C.J. Procise as far as his ability to, to run in, in between the tackles, get outside, everything, but he just can't stay healthy. So let's get Mike Davis in there and see what he's got. I mean, look, there's still a chance that they can bring this running game around. In the meantime, they're not as bad as they were last year. They're at 22nd. They're getting 100 yards. Russell's a big part of it. But, look, that's what NFL football is about. You have to sort of adapt. And that's what Pete Carroll and Daryl Bevel have done. They've adapted to what do we have? Well, we got an MVP candidate in Russell Wilson. And we've been talking about this on our show, Danny, that – I feel like this talk about, oh, we're relying on Russell too much. Why? Go ahead and rely on Russell Wilson. He's your best player. He's an MVP candidate. You know, look, if you have to run him to death and, and throw it 38 times, do it. He's your best player. So, look, that's, uh, that's the reality of what it is. And I know Pete always says, look, we want to run the ball. But, you know, it's not like he's pounding his head against the wall. They're throwing the ball right now. They have the number two pass offense, so they're adapting very well. But I think for fans, and I know for me, I love seeing a good running game, and they don't have that, and that makes me uncomfortable right now. But it is the reality of what they have. And so, you know, I think that they're actually doing a good job adapting to the situation this year. I'm excited to see what Mike Davis brings, and that is partly because we haven't seen it. You're sort of enraptured by the unknown. But I think there's also – we – often don't recognize the feel that's required to run in this specific running style, the zone blocking scheme that they use, and that Marshawn Lynch didn't take to it right away. He got significantly better midway through his second season with the Seahawks. He got significantly better halfway through 2011 because he developed a feel and whether it was a trust and an understanding. I want to see if Mike Davis has got that. I I love Thomas Rawls and his effectiveness. I love his effort level, but he's not seeing things that are there right now. And Eddie Lacy the one time they wanted to give him a full load of carries, he wasn't able to hold up. So I think that you need to find some ways. They need to start showing progress on the ground, at least show better, because it's still a young offensive line. They should be getting better at pushing guys. I think Ethan Posick's going to be a player that gets better. I think Jermaine Effetti should get better. So they should be showing progress on the ground, and we're not seeing that right Since now. 2012, the New York Giants are the only team to win the Super Bowl and that was in 2012, to win the Super Bowl, and it averaged 89.2 yards per game rushing the football. Every other team that's won the Super Bowl since 2008 has rushed for over 100 yards. I'll say this. No, this team has not been running the ball well. But, yes, the offense has been doing things, and Russell has been doing things in spite of, and this team is still 6-3. and three. I don't think that this team can win a Super Bowl if the running game doesn't get a little bit better. When I say a little bit better, I do have a feel, and this is where I want to ask you, have they figured out Jimmy Graham? It, Paul Richardson is playing great. Doug Baldwin has been playing great, who's going to be here at 8 o'clock. I think that they're playing well. And finally, Jimmy Graham, the connection there. You're talking about five to six touchdowns in the last six games. What do you guys think about that connection and what's happened with Jimmy Graham? Well, look, they've got it down. Here's the one thing about the Jimmy Graham, throw the ball to him and let him post up a DB. It's harder than it looks. 
Every time you're going to you're going to face a different defense. You're going to face a different defensive back playing different technique. And it's hard enough to execute a play in the NFL when they don't know what's coming, but they know what's coming when Jimmy Graham's out there. So there's been a lot of pressure on the Seahawks to get that done. They're finally getting it done, but you've seen where the throws have been. Like the one he dropped in New York, he should have had that, but it was down, you know, almost to his knees. And so, look, that, that's one that I think that there, there's a lot of pressure put on them to get that done. But, look, Jimmy Graham's coming on. There's been, I would say, an undue amount of pressure. But, look, these guys know what pressure is about. They get paid lots of money, and it's not like that's crushing them or anything like that. But we have sort of gotten to the point where it's like we just expect that throw to Jimmy Graham to be a touchdown every time. Well, it's starting to happen, is it? Five touchdowns in the last six? Five in the last six. Yeah. Five in the last six. Look, it's starting to work out. It's starting to pay off. So, look, you know, this is why they're throwing the ball. The offensive line is a better pass-blocking offensive line than they are a run-blocking offensive line. Russell Wilson can throw the ball. They've got good receivers. Doug Baldwin, in my mind, if I was picking, I don't know, a fantasy team or we're out there and it's like in the playground, give you know, pick your first receiver. I'm taking Doug Baldwin. He's the best route runner in the league. Mm. So, and then, you know, you got Jimmy Graham, you got Paul Richardson, who I really admire. And so, look, you know, that's the strength of your team, and I think they're using it well. So, yeah, that's uh, as far as Jimmy Graham goes, I just feel like, number one, a little bit too much pressure on him to just automatically come down with that play, but he is getting going. So, they're finally getting out of him what they wanted when they traded away that first round draft choice and Max Unger. I was really hoping Dave was going to explain more to us about his fantasy football team. I, I don't have myself, a fantasy football team. The number team. one thing I'm most interested in is other people. No, I'm not interested <laughs> in other people's fantasy football teams. Gee, do you have a fantasy football team? No. And right when you say fantasy, I shut off. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Do you like hearing about yeah. other people's fantasy football teams? Hell no. The yeah. PPR league and they've Nobody got two keepers. No. Here's what I'll say about the offense. The Seahawks offense used to be great at scoring it ranked higher in scoring offense than it did in yards gained. They're the exact opposite now. They're a team that gains more yards. And I don't want to say it's empty calories, because, but they gain more yards and struggle to score as efficiently as they used to. They have the horsepower in their offense. They're gaining the yards they need. They need to become more efficient about taking advantage of the scoring opportunities that they have. And they need to become more predictable and more consistent in the first half of games. Can they do that with the passing game? Yeah. Maybe, and Dave's talked about this a couple times this week, and I think it makes a lot of sense. More short passes where Russell gets it out within the structure of the play. More things that happen within what is scripted and where he doesn't hold on to it. And finding a way that's more consistent, more predictable, I think, even if it's not necessarily running the ball, but finding the, the term that people like John Gruden use is run game solutions. And what they mean is shorter passes that are able to substitute for the lack of a run game. Remember there was a point in time that we kept saying, why in the world do they keep throwing the bubble screen? Bubble screen, bubble screen. Remember that? What happened to the bubble screen? <laughs> oh, yeah. we got one minute to explain. What, what happened to it? No, I don't know why. It's, it's, it's weird because, look, the, the Arizona Cardinals scored on a screen. Yeah. It was a tight end screen. You know, but screens, I think, are, is kind of a lost art. But you know what's so funny is in the NFL – Everything's cyclical, and the pendulum swings back and forth. I remember a few years ago where the tight end was going to be eliminated. That position was going to be eliminated from the NFL. It was all about receivers and spreading them out, and now all of a sudden, and I've talked to Max Strong about the fullback situation, but I, I could see a huge comeback 
in the screen game, whether it's tight end, middle screen, all that different stuff, receiver screen, bubble screen. I think it works, but it's just uh, one of those things that's not very fashionable right now. Coming up at 745, we got the professor, John Clayton. He's going to call in to the show. But up next, we go inside the film room with Dave and Danny and go over three plays to talk about that. We do that next. You're listening to Seahawks Weekly. Welcome back, everybody, to Seahawks Weekly. Great crowd here this evening. If you're driving around right now, get on downtown Bellevue to Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar. We got Doug Baldwin is going to join us here at 8 o'clock. Coming up at 745, we'll have the professor, John Clayton, call in. But right now, it's time to go inside the film room with the two of you. I'm a little scared because Dave Wyman is a former linebacker. I don't want him putting his hands on me or anything like that. <laughs> There's going to be no demonstrating. Jeez. No demo. Oh, okay. I just want to just want to make sure. At this time, what we want to do is is what we're going to take three plays and we're going to take a closer look with going over the video. So the first one we'll go over is Cam Chancellor when he tackles Adrian Peterson for the safety. First and ten at their own two yard line, all the way at the far end of the field. Peterson takes the handoff. He gets hit in the end zone. He's going to go down. It's going to be a safety. The second safety in as many weeks for the Seahawks defense. Great penetration. All I saw was green jerseys cross the goal line, and they met up with Peterson in the end zone, and he never made a yard. One of the guys that made this happen was K.J. Wright. It looked to me like they had a run blitz on, and all that is is everybody has a gap in the running game, but for the linebackers and safeties, whatever gap you have, you just run through it. And uh, one of the things that puzzled me about this was that Bruce Arians, look, we know Adrian Peterson likes to take the ball deep in the eye, you know, and it's not an eye because there's no fullback in front of him, but he likes to be deep and then get the ball and then decide where he's going to go. And the Seahawks run that run blitz, which is the perfect call there. And, you know, the guy that makes the play is actually Cam Chancellor. He's all the way outside. It was very similar to a third and two type of play they had against the Giants where he's up in the box. He's lined up like a linebacker. And that's the thing you're going to miss with, with Cam Chancellor. He can play deep as you want to be, and then he can come up and play like a linebacker. And he just shuffled down the line and found a hole. There's a real knack to that of trying to get through what we used to call the dead bodies you know guys laying on the ground and that's why the guys go through the bags and everything is to keep your feet alive and he just shuffled and found his way and kind of sifted in there into the backfield but kj made him dis misdirect and the reason why he was able to get that hit well it's because he's cam chancellor number one but number two is because he had to kind of stop a little bit kj stopped him and then once cam makes the hit there um naz jones does a good job of cleaning it up so Really good team defense there, and, you know, it makes me kind of wistful watching this. I don't know if we're going to have Cam or not, but watching him, knowing that, yeah, man, we may not see him next week. But, you know, this is the kind of hit, and this is the kind of stuff that he does why Cam Chancellor has a little bit of wear and tear on his body. You also look at what Seattle did in that game, and this is probably exhibit A for how they shut down Adrian Peterson. He carried the ball 37 times in the game before, and Arizona had pretty much announced their intention that, hey, with our backup quarterback, we believe we can run the ball effectively. And Seattle has shown now a few times they're great in short yardage situations. 
How much of that depends on Cam Chancellor? We're going to find out, especially if Cam's not available. But their ability to do that and watching KJ get in and force that the decision that Adrian Peterson, I mean, he basically made him go to his right because of the way KJ shot in there and was set up camp in there. And it's pretty puzzling why Arizona decided to make, you, you, you see the rationale, which is, hey, we run the ball, we want to run the ball and get us, ourselves some space. But the way Seattle's defense is, if there's one thing I think they're best at, it's short yardage run situations right now. We've seen them stop a number of opponents on third and short, and now they've got, what, two safeties in, t- in the matter of five days? Uh, I asked K.J. Wright about the game, and I said, K.J., was Arizona running the same run play over and over again? He says, yeah, they were. I, I, was like, I said, is there a reason why? He's like, I have no idea. But the Arizona Cardinals were running the same play with with Adrian Peterson, kind of crazy. The next one, guys, I want to go over with you is the Russell Wilson crazy scramble and the throw to Doug Baldwin for 54 yards. Baldwin, Lockett, and Richardson all on the left side with McKissick in the backfield, and Russell, play fake, going to roll left, looking, looking. Now he's going to roll back to the right side, still looking, pirouettes, looks. Now he throws downfield, reaching up. Baldwin makes the catch. It's on the 40, 30, 20, 15, 10, 5, knocked out of bounds. Inside the five-yard line. Are you kidding me? Russell Wilson, he did more pirouettes than a ballerina. He found a way to throw the ball deep, and Doug Baldwin out jumps a defender and takes it all the way down inside the five-yard line. This is one of those where um, there's a lot of plays where as a coach, if you're coaching football or as a fan, you go, oh, no, no, don't do that. Don't wait. Oh, wait, that was a great play. You know, Russell Wilson, he, and I've said this before, early in the game, I think he needs to maybe take the five-yard gain and not make the big play. But every time he makes a play like that, you go, okay, Russell, just do what you do. You know, he threw the ball there to, to uh, Doug Baldwin when he was the least open. I mean, there was lots of other times where he was open as that play developed. But, you know, a lot of times I think people look at that play and go, look, he just threw it up for grabs. No, I, they, he has done that enough times where he knows where to throw that ball. I think he, he saw the position of the, the defensive back, and this is like one of those blink things. The book uh, Blink by Malcolm Gladwell, it's like you see a situation and you just you sum it up in your head very quickly and I think Russell has gotten to that point where he's able to see that he saw that if he threw it back Doug would be able to come back and make that catch and then Doug makes the play and we're going to talk to Doug later on when he gets here but he is you know to me he's the best receiver in the league because he gets open and he is able I don't care how big he is he's one of those guys that's able to make big catches in big time situations so really uh, I, I thought that that play right there more than any play we've seen with the Seahawks when these two guys have been on the team most exemplifies the chemistry that they have together it's like coaches always say sometimes you have to win your two-on-one battles sometimes when you've got two guys that are bearing down on you and you're just the one guy left there like Russell Wilson was with Chandler Jones and the DB you have to outmaneuver two isn't that sound fundamental football no it's not I've never heard that one-on-one battles (laughs) One-on-one battles, you expect, guys, that's the benefit that Russell Wilson brings. And for all of the different things that people talk about, he is in a play where he's dead to rights by not one but two defenders. And he elongates that play 
he lengthens it to the point where he gets that opportunity and throws it to Doug. And then you see just the football instincts. Pete Carroll's talked about wanting to be the best scrambling team in the league. They are the best scrambling team in the league. And it's not just due to Russell, but due to the wide receivers and the plays they make. Last play we'll go over. We'll go over Jimmy Graham's second touchdown catch. Russell throws far side into the end zone. Touchdown Seahawks. Jimmy Graham from the two-yard line. Just an alley-oop. Listen to the roar. That's Seahawks fans here at University of Phoenix Stadium. You know, I, I think the, the thing with uh, on this I talked about earlier is that it is harder than it looks with Jimmy Graham. I mean, look, every time you're facing different coverage, every time you are, uh, you know, you're, you've got a different technique and things like that. So a lot of people think that that's just an automatic. Again, you know, it's hard to make to execute a play when the defense doesn't know what's coming. But when they do know what's coming, it's even harder. And so Jimmy Graham's out there. He's posted up. You know those DBs are grabbing him and pulling their, his jersey down and all those little tricks so that he can't jump. But Russell and Jimmy seem to have gotten this thing down, and it's paid off finally. And I think people have been in, a little bit impatient about that. But now you see Jimmy Graham. Again, I have to always ask, is it five in the last six? Five, five in the last six. Five touchdowns six in the last season. six. Yeah, and so that was exactly why you brought him in here and why you traded him away. John Schneider is the kind of guy he will, and this is why we got Percy Harvin. And I, I'm sorry, I still think Percy Harvin was fantastic, and I see why they traded for him. He was unpredictable as far as his personality goes, but that guy was a total difference maker. And Jimmy Graham is the same type of player. And, you know, I think we're finally starting to see that. I like to say this. That was the Debo play. Like Debo from Friday, who mm-hmm. just grabbed something. That's my bike, punk. That Jimmy Graham was my ball. And he pulled it out, and then he showed it to him. Look, he's a mismatch. He's a unique talent. And Dave said that. That's what the Seahawks look for, guys with unique talents, unique abilities. And for all the complaints about how well Jimmy Graham has been worked into this team, he remains a guy that can win you a game. He did it last year on Monday night against the Buffalo Bills when he had an absolutely extraordinary game. Two one-handed catches, plus he hurdled a guy. He scored two touchdowns in that game there against Arizona. And you come down, you're a better scoring team with him available as an option. All right, coming up at 8 o'clock, Doug Baldwin is going to join us right here for Seahawks Weekly. But up next, the professor, John Clayton. We ask him on some of the injury updates. We do that next. You're listening to Seahawks Weekly. Uh, welcome back to Seahawks Weekly, everybody. We're live here at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar right here in the heart of downtown Bellevue. A big thank you to our sponsors, Harris Stillings, Best Number 12 Vodka, Legendary Donuts, and Muckleshoot Bingo. Coming up at 8 o'clock, he's going to be here in 15 minutes. Wide receiver Doug Baldwin will be right here at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar. But right now on the phone, Joining us, the professor, John Clayton. JC, what you know good, my man? I tell you what, what you, you tipped off earlier. You didn't say who was going to be there, but, boy, the fact that Doug Baldwin's going to be there tonight, what an amazing night it's going to be. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What do you think about this uh, Thursday night football game, JC? Pretty good game. I mean, it's like uh, you figure the Steelers are going to stay ahead of the Titans. You know, the Titans are at least giving it a pretty good battle. But, I mean, Pittsburgh at this stage still seems to be the better team in what's a bad AFC. I mean, an AFC right now where you struggle to find out if there's five playoff teams, and what you have to judge, is Tennessee a true playoff caliber team? 
That's going to be on the line tonight. If they're not, it's a four-team type of division right now in the AFC because right now you've got about seven, eight teams in the NFC that are pretty darn good. Yeah, you know, I was going to say, John, I think NFC way better than AFC right now. And Tennessee, 6-3, and three, but, you know, they lost to Houston by like 40 points. And so who do you, who do you think is the best team in the AFC right now? I mean, and it's more by default than anything else. It's New England and Pittsburgh. I mean, Kansas City has now lost to, what, like three games in a row. I mean, you yeah. look at Tennessee, they're 6-3, and three, but how good are they? I mean, you got Jacksonville with a really good defense and Jake Bortles. And, again, what I go to, and, again, you know what a geek I am as far as, you know, studying my databases and all that yes, stuff. Yes, you are a geek. I know. And it's like, He's hey, not that big a geek. Hey, but I love it's you not anyway. like he wears a bow tie. Hey, hey Wyman, face it, you went to Stanford. You're a little bit of a geek, too. <laughs> but, uh, you know, overall. That's why I love you, John. Thank you so much. But it's like what you look at is that you go back to 2012 when the NFC was like 39 and 25 against the N- and against the AFC. Similar type of year. If it con- continues at 61 percent, what you're going to see is six or seven teams in the NFC with 10 wins or more, and an eight and eight, or maybe a seven and nine, maybe two eight and eight teams making it as playoffs in the AFC. I mean, you know, we've had this happen like about. Oh, three times in the last 13 years. But when one conference dominates, and right now one conference is dominating, which is right now the NFC, it changes the equation of the National Football League. Well, and John, I I can't get behind Jacksonville because of Blake Mm. Bortles. I agree. Yeah, I mean, great defense, but I feel like their luck is going to run out at some point. Do you agree? I agree, yeah, because, I mean, what you look at is, like, all you have to do is look at Blake Bortles' numbers, one on third down and one when they have a lead. He doesn't do very well. His completion percentage drops down. His accuracy tends to drop down. Every, I mean, everything seems to go south when they have a lead. I mean, his best stuff was two years ago when they didn't have a good defense. They gave up a lot of points, and he threw 35 touchdown passes because basically it was garbage time. I mean, he does great in garbage time. Garbage time doesn't win you football games. Blake Bortles right now doesn't win you football games. John, we got some good news from the Seahawks today about injuries. Jaron Reed hoping to practice this week. Eddie Lacy expected back. Also got some no news, which I actually think is bad news. Cam Chancellor, they don't have any announcement. What's your sense of what's going on with Cam? My sense is bad on the Cam Chancellor thing because we're talking about a stinger, and we see how bad the stinger thing is right now with Cliff Averill and the fact that he may not play again this year. We don't know if he's going to play again in the rest of his career. But a stinger injury can be very damaging. And, of course, if now you're talking about taking Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor out of the Legion of Boom, that's huge because those are two main parts. I mean, you know, Cam Chancellor is the enforcer. He's the guy that makes the big hits, but he also keeps great in communication. If they lose him and you know, Richard uh, Sherman at the same time, that's going to be very damaging. But, again, I think this team is deeper than it was last year. It may be able to rebound, but, boy, if Chancellor can't play, and right now I don't think he's going to be able to play Monday night, it's going to hurt. JC, how many, how many games do the Seahawks need to win to possibly get that first round by? 11. Because what you look at, and again, this goes back to the schedule and how things have gone, AFC versus NFC. I mean, 10 wins is not going to get it done. You've got to probably get to 11. I still think this team is targeted to get 11 if indeed they win the home games against Atlanta, Philadelphia, and the Rams. I think they'll be in good shape. You know, it's still going to be a tough road trip to Jacksonville early start at this stage. I mean, they may move it back because, again, Jacksonville is doing pretty well. 
I don't know if Dallas is going to be in the mix in a Christmas Eve, whether they're going to be a contender or not contender. I think there's a more better better chance that they're not going to be, you know, in the in the playoff equation. But it really, this team, if he can get to 11, everything should be fine. If it doesn't get to 11, it's going to be tough. John, it's going to be tough for Atlanta if yeah. they don't win this game. I, I would think that that would be the Super Bowl hangover sort of final blow if they if they don't win because they'll go to five and five right agreed and you could see this possibly happening last year because i still contend that the seahawks could have been again they weren't a super bowl team last year but they could have been in the super bowl this goes back to al davis al davis says there's some years we can steal a super bowl and what it would have come down to if they would have beaten arizona be 11 4 and 1 they would have atlanta at home decent chance to win green bay at home decent chance to win they go to play new england in the super bowl same thing this year i mean again everything breaks if you break things right and this team can break things right and so if indeed they can get to 11 wins i think they have a great chance to maybe have a chance to get good positioning in the seedings because again escalated everything in the nfc this year because of the way that it is against the afc but this team if it gets to 11 wins to still be in a good shape jc that was fire if everything breaks yeah they got to break things right. I, I don't know how you did that. That was pretty good, JC. Loved it. Hey, man, we really appreciate you taking the time to jump on with us. We'll be talking to you. I'll be talking to you tomorrow. Actually, tomorrow morning on uh, with Brock and Salk, I'll be filling in. So I'll talk That's to you. That's two days 15. in a row. I mean, you're yeah, putting in six-hour shifts. I mean, I'm putting in some work, baby. Wait, you're, you're going to stay up to like what, 11, 12, and you're getting up at like 5:30? Yeah, to man. Go I just got to keep working. Right. Keep working. Got bills to pay. Hey, I'll be talking to you at 7.15. Right. And then, of course, the show we do at 10 o'clock, 10 to 12. JC, I really appreciate you. Sounds good. That's the professor, John Clayton, as he joins us every Seahawks Weekly at 7.45. Well, coming up, we're about five minutes away, guys, from Doug Baldwin, wide receiver for your Seattle Seahawks. He joins us right here at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar. You're listening to Seahawks Weekly. Hey.